0: Do you schedule and host events in the Jewish community? Conferences, webinars, local events? Please consider adding your events to Jcast Network's newest project, the Jewish Communal Events Calendar. Don't schedule events, but know someone who does? Invite them to add their events. If we all work together, we can create another wonderful resource for the Jewish community. Visit our calendar and post your events at jcastnetwork.org slash j-c-e-c You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit mikeknopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org Alright, let's keep going. Ben, will you pick up However?
1: Sure. However, Cosmos provokes Adam I to quest for power and control, thus making him as the functional how-question. Adam II does not ask a single functional question. Instead, his inquiry is of a metaphysical nature and a threefold one. He wants to know why is it? What is it? Who is it? He wonders why did the world in its totality come into existence? Why is man confronted by the stupendous and indifferent order of things and events? He asks, what is the purpose of all this? What is the message that is embedded in organic and inorganic matter? And what does the great challenge reaching me from beyond the fringes of the universe, as well as from the depths of my tormented soul mean? Adam II keeps on wondering, who is he who trails me steadily, uninvited and unwanted, like an everlasting shadow, and vanishes into the recesses of transcendence the very instant I turn around to confront this noomeless, awesome, and mysterious He. Who is he who fills Adam with awe and bliss, humility and a sense of greatness, concurrently? Who is he to whom Adam clings in passionate, all-consuming love, and from whom he flees in mortal fear and dread? Who is he who fascinates Adam irresistibly, and at the same time rejects him irrevocably? Who is he whom Adam experiences both as the mysterium tremendum, and as the most elementary, most obvious, and most understandable truth? Who is he who is deus revelatus,
0: and deus absconditus, simultaneously. Deus revelatus. Uh, in case you didn't catch it, is like the god who reveals god's self, and deus absconditus, or absconditus, I'm not a uh, Greek scholar, or Latin scholar, uh, is uh, the god who, um, who hides himself, who flees, right, absconds. Um.
1: Who is he whose life-giving and life-warming breath Adam feels constantly and who at the same time remains distant and remote from it from all? So, one point that I feel like I'm curious what the distinction is between the first and the second questions. The difference between why did the world come into existence and what is the purpose of all this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Those both sound to me like why. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that this is a big deal. It seems to me like we have two questions here rather than three. But the purpose
2: of all of this makes it me feel like we're at the center all over again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. What does this service mean to you? Yeah.
3: You also defined uh, mysterium tremendum.
0: Yeah, sorry. Uh, mysterium tremendum uh, is, uh, um, is like great mystery. Yeah, great mystery. Right? So he's, he's both the great mystery and also the most obvious truth. Right. Um, okay, so so that's a good question, Ben. Um, uh, anybody have thoughts about uh, Ben's question? Uh, why? Uh, what's the difference between the first and second questions that uh, Adam the second asks? Adam the second asks, Why did the world come to existence, and what is the purpose of all of this? He
2: came in to do this.
4: And the purpose was to do that
1: I mean it had to exist before they could be purpose <coughs> well I mean if i if I build a boat, why did the boat come into existence? I suppose you could just say because I built it, but it, but more likely it's because I wanted to go sailing And The purpose of the boat is to let me sail on it. <laughs> but it seemed to me like maybe I mean you 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 I mean, almost if we are different then the why almost turns into a how to me rather than a, a why.
2: I think the difference might be in the second question of each of the numbered things. Mm-hmm. Um, so why is man confronted by this stupendous and indifferent order of things and events like man, man inside of nature? And then what is the message that is embedded in organic and inorganic matter? And that's just like nature. In, it, in itself,
0: sort of. So what's um, what's the maybe maybe it's uh, um, uh, w- I'm not sure which which of the questions is which. So forgive me, but it's um, uh, what's the purpose of the world, and what's the purpose of humanity? Right. What's the purpose? You know, why? Why did the world come into existence, and why, in particular, were human beings placed in the yeah, world? I
1: think that may be the two questions that are here, but I don't think they align to the way he drew his. Yes, questions. I'm
0: not sure they do either. Yeah, um, um, but but I guess because, because yeah. I think that yeah, the the second
1: question in the first in the in the first mega question does kind of feel like a, a why me? Why am I confronted by this?
0: Yeah, except for I, – I think that, that –
1: um, It is the indefinite man, but why is man confronted by this? I, I, I think I'm inclined to, to follow Rebecca on this and say that we have a, a fundamental question of like what is the meaning of the world? And then there's the why me? Why me
0: right. the, the, what's the meaning of the world and what's the meaning of me?
1: Yeah.
0: Right. What's the meaning of the world? What's the meaning of me? And what's the meaning <laughs> of – And who's this guy who keeps following me? Right? up? <laughs> Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> asks,
4: why is man confronted by this dependence and a different order of things? I wonder if he isn't asking why why does man care? Why should we give a hoot? Yeah. Well I, I think
1: that I think that that it it kind of becomes meta theatrical to say that Adam is asking the question, why should we give a hoot? Because I think what so is saying here is that the reason why we give a hoot is because we are the second man as well, Adam the second as well as Adam the first. We give a hoot because we were created to give a hoot. <laughs> Which, again, is a little bit sickly.
2: <laughs> when, when you say, you know, why was man created in the first place? Well, when that sixth day came, who was God going to be God over? except if he hadn't created man. And I think the that was it. He, <laughs> he saw through the, uh, you know, the Torah, it's, and in the uh, sitter. But he created us, that, to think, we have to take yeah, care of it. That we need to love God, to obey God, to pray to God, well, whatever. And, I mean, you can't have whales doing that. Why not? Well, I don't
0: know. Well, but but so why? So this isn't this. Is, I, I I'm really glad you raised this point. I mean, so let's put our let's put on our philosophers' hats for a second, okay? So um so explain to me why God uh, needs subjects, right? Why does why does God need human beings? Uh, um, you, what did you say at be your first statement? Uh, God created human beings so that God could rule over human beings, yeah, right? So what? So why, so, so explain mm-hmm. to me logically why God needs that?
2: I don't know if I can logically <laughs> yeah. explain it. I just you know, I, it seems that we, we learn that, that God wants this. You know, thou shalt have no other gods before me whatever. Um, don't take my name in vain. It's God has a very definite idea of who he, she is and who he's supposed to be in relation to all this that he created? How
5: would he
0: justify? Well, it, we it it doesn't necessarily in in true right. So you say if you if if all you want to say is this is that's the tradition we've received right that God created a world in which uh, we are subjects and God is the ruler, um, and you're uh, and, and you're comfortable with that. Um standing on its own then that then that's fine uh, but to me it the you know, really it really begs a problem right what what um what kind of God that is worthy of worship created something specifically for the purpose of worshiping him right in other words, um like what kind of person would I be if I created you know a robot army? Uh, 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 that existed only for the purpose of of telling me how great i am or to like give me somebody to give commands to and that they'll obey like we, we this is
1: why we get dogs all the time <laughs> we get dog. we get pets to give us love and affection how is that any different <laughs> from what's <It's> what, unconditional <laughs> for, for, what, for what god
0: did so Oh, but giving by, by, by creating an object for love is different than creating a subject to rule isn't it yeah
1: i, god. I don't know I don't know about that. And and I guess I would also
0: say that, that I generally presume myself to have limitations that God that I don't generally presume God has. Right? At least But if we're
1: going to look for God but I, I think that if we're going to look for God's intentions, I think that we have to that we are definitionally already anthropomorphizing. Mm-hmm. Because I think because I, because I think it's at least as likely that God is doing it for 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 His own mysterious reasons. He is what He is. Right. Uh, so this
0: so this is so this is this is you you really raise I think uh, one of the precise dilemmas right, which is um, that. Uh, um, the, the only way that we have of talking about God inherently limits God because of our capacities for language and and, uh, and, and, and metaphorical systems, right? Exactly. We, we, we generally only think about what human beings do, which is why when you go see a movie about animals, they're all acting like human beings, right? Even though that's not how animals really act with you. Bambi doesn't actually talk to Thumper in the wilderness. So, right? <laughs> Sorry, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's exactly what happened to, um, <laughs>
4: what to Bambi's But that's what happened to family Movement put out a new mock a year or two ago, and there was a reading that I saw that starts: "Does a God who demands adoration deserve it?" I think the answer
1: is I. Th- I think that answer you is moot. If, 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 if if God demands adoration, who are we to refuse it to him? Whether or not he deserves
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I know about you, but if, if, it, if, we, if at least we're stipulating traditional omnipotent concepts of God, if God says he wants adoration, I'm going to give it to him. <laughs> well, but I understand I your point. If I, if, I, if I believe I'm great,
3: and I go around saying I'm great, it should be self-evident. I shouldn't have to tell people... I'm great people just know by encountering, you know, God right. that he, He's worthy of worship. He, I don't
5: need to be told. Right. You know, He's an infinite being and, and well, created everything. I should just. God know. created God created the first soul or vessel, as a place that He could send His love. He had love to give. He needed a place to send that love. When that split into the multitude, which is. The world now and then and forever. Then it was up to us to work back and return that love.
0: Right. So um, you're 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 talking about um, a a, um, a very beautiful uh, kabbalistic uh, thought or or or, or, or uh, understanding of how the world came to be. I would suggest that uh, Soloveitchik actually would not... Uh, he was not a, uh, a mystic, right? Um, so, yeah, he was much more... He was hes in the... the they call this tradition the brisker tradition. Um, the brisker tradition is like a very, like, sort of rigorous academic, um, uh, non-mystical uh, um, approach to, uh, uh, to, to Jewish study. So I'm not positive that he would say that... Um, uh, that that the world is a vessel containing God's love, or a vessel, a shattered vessel of, of God's love. Um, I'm not even positive yet uh, uh, about the answers to these questions, right? So it could be that the answer to the question of you know why was the world created, right? The world was created because God had had too much love to contain yeah, I, I don't in don't God's think self. is trying right. to give
1: answers here. saying right. like, These are the questions. Right. That we, and, that's, and that's why, I mean, since he, his original problem is right. why do we have these two narratives? And he says, this is what the second narrative is about. is right. these questions that Adam has. Right,
0: right. Um, all right, let's, let's read on a little bit more in this. Um, so, uh, uh, David, you want to go on in order to answer this triple question?
4: In order to answer this triple question, Adam II explores not the scientific... Abstract universe, but the irresistibly fascinating qualitative world where he establishes an intimate relation with God. <coughs> While well, Adam the first wants to reclaim himself from a closed-in, non-reflective, natural existence, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> existence aside? by setting himself up as a dignified, majestic being capable of ruling his environment. Adam II sees his separate separateness from the nature of the existential uniqueness, not in dignity or majesty, but in something else.
0: Dignity and majesty for Salvation are, are technical terms uh, related to um, a human being's ability to sort of conquer and subdue the, the environment, right? And, and technical progress.
4: There is There is, in his opinion, another mode of existing through which mankind can find his own self, namely the redemptive. Being redeemed is unlike being dignified and ontological. (coughs) An individual intuits his existence as worthwhile, legitimate, and adequate, anchored in something stable and unchangeable. Redemption cannot be attained through man's acquisition of control of his environment, but through man's exercise of control over himself. A redeemed life is ipso facto a disciplined life. Redemption redemption is achieved when humble man makes a movement of recoil and lets himself be confronted and defeated by a higher and truer being. Man finds redemption whenever he is overpowered by the creator of nature.
0: Yeah, or you can pass it on if you want to Joshua.
4: Each great redemptive step
3: forward in man's quest for humanity entails the ever growing tragic awareness of his aloneness and onlyness and consequently of his loneliness and
1: insecurity.
0: Okay. Alright, let's just pause there. So so what, what what more have we learned?
1: Well one question I have is is the is the man here an individual man or collective man? What do you mean? Well, because one, I mean, I could read this same sentence, and I think in this context he's talking about for each individual man, each great step forward entails the ever growing tragic awareness. I could see, and I don't think that's what he's saying here, but I could see the alternative reading that's talking about man as, as, as mankind, that every step forward in, 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 the, in, the, in mankind's quest for humanity. In a in a collective sense, the question I guess to me is: Is this is this a road that mankind travels alone? Travels as individuals or travels as a as a community?
0: Right. So uh, I think you're, uh, the answer the answer is I think both. We're going to see in a moment. Uh, uh, he's going to approach the question of community. I think here he's talking about man as an individual. Okay. Uh, I think he's saying that uh, man as an individual, right? Um, you know, has a has a. Uh, a, a a, um, a twofold process of 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 uh, discovering humanity or quest for humanity, one is uh the you know technical accomplishments or pursuits of Adam the first and the other is this the 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 redemptive quest of, of Adam the second um, and uh, and and the redemptive is um, uh, is um it is about discipline, but it's also with every, with every progressive step to a more disciplined life, to a more uh, aware life. The more aware you become of God, the more aware you are of how far away you are from God at the same time. The more disciplined you are, the more you realize how undisciplined you are, right? Um, so uh, uh, so which, which reinforces the very loneliness that you, were, uh, that, that you were trying to escape from in the first place right, is what he's saying at the beginning, that every time you...
1: It's a struggle, kind of?
0: What's that? It's a Sisyphean struggle, yeah.
1: Perhaps cantalus might be more apropos.
0: Yeah. So, you know, so uh, this is, right, where is he, right, let's see, um, uh, right, who is he who trails me subtly, uninvited, and unwanted, like an everlasting shadow, and vanishes into the recesses of transcendence the very instant I turn around to confront this numinous, awesome, and mysterious He? Right. So the second you turn to face God, that's when God is most mysterious to you. Right? The second you go to approach God, that's when God disappears the most. Um, it's it's like when Moses says to God in uh, in in in, uh, uh, in Exodus, um, uh, "Let me see your face." Right? And God says, you can't see my face. You can only see my back. It's uh, like the
3: quantum physics, right? The Heisenberg, the more you're moving on a particle, the less you
5: know about it, uh, because
0: it's moved to a new position. Wow. Okay. Um, which, is, which is, I think, actually, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of truth to this. And we've seen it just in our conversations here, because the more we strive to approach a sort of intellectual uh, uh, understanding and awareness of God, the more we realize how 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 maybe impossible that task is because we're trying because the work of theology is trying to put you know uh definitions and categories on something that may be by nature undefinable so the so the second you try to put your finger down on uh on one aspect of god you realize that there's a whole other aspect of god that you have uh, totally ignored or or totally shortchanged by virtue of of doing that right so the 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 uh um I don't remember what it was. Never mind. Uh, that oh, one we said a moment does, ago. Like.
5: How does uh, theology handle the uh, quantum mechanic fact and discovery that an electron can be at both ends of the universe at the same time?
0: <laughs> yeah.
5: And, I mean, that's that's accepted in quantum mechanics. It sure doesn't work with, with any... Uh, Definable theology. It doesn't negate theology. It just doesn't work within the framework. That's relevant to the framework. What's that? I don't know that it's. Oh, you say it doesn't work within the framework. I don't know that it's relevant to the framework. You know. Well, it's it's here the the puzzling over over whether whether today you know what what challenges our faith in. It doesn't challenge mine, because I'm a mystic, and I don't have a problem with those things, but...
0: Right. So what, what would, are you saying, what would Soloveitchik say about that quantum, yeah, what, what, that insight from quantum yeah. physics? I'm not sure.
5: It's, it's like, it's like the mystery of seeing God and...
0: Right, I, I think that I think that that he would say that that's precisely why you can't uh, that that any turning toward God is also a turning away from God, yep. right? Uh, any attempt to understand God also leaves behind things that you that you therefore can never understand about God, um, uh, which which is also true in terms of relationship, right? Like any any um, any any relational moment I have with another human being, um, uh, uh, the, there are there are elements of that person's being that I'm connecting with in that moment and many more elements of their being with which I'm not fully connecting with them or not fully understanding or even striving to understand at that moment.
3: Any, any person fully to another person.
0: Right. Right. Uh, let's go on a little bit more. Josh, can you uh, read Therefore I Repeat?
3: Therefore I Repeat, Adam II of quest for a different kind of community. His quest is for a new kind of fellowship, which one finds in the existential community. There, not only hands are joined, but experiences as well. There, one hears not only the rhythmic sound of the production line, but also the rhythmic beat of hearts starved for existential companionship and all embracing sympathy and experiencing the grandeur of the faith commitment. There, only lonely soul finds another soul tormented by loneliness and solitude yet unqualifiedly committed.
0: Okay, so there. So, uh, keep going. Actually, a little Good. bit, Josh. Okay.
3: At this point, the main distinction between the natural community of Adam the first and the covenantal faith community of Adam the second becomes clear. God is never outside the covenantal community. He joins man and shares in his covenantal existence. infinitude and infinity, infinity, temporality, temporality, and eternity, creature and creator become involved in the same community. We meet God in the covenantal community as a comrade and fellow member. Of course, even within the framework of this community, God appears as the leader, teacher, and shepherd. Yet the leader is an integral part of the community. The teacher is inseparable from his peoples. The shepherd never leaves his flock. They all belong to one group.
0: Yeah, let us finish up.
3: As a matter of fact, at the level of the, his cosmic, confrontation with God, man is faced with an exasperating paradox. On the one hand, he beholds God in every nook and corner of creation, and yet the very moment that man turns his face to God, he finds him remote, unapproachable, enveloped in transcendence and mystery. He is everywhere, but at the same time above and outside of everything. Therefore, the man of faith, in order to redeem himself from his loneliness and misery, must meet God at a personal I told near him and put free in his presence. Yeah thinking now you
2: know what we were talking about with, um, when i was saying why God created or whatever and I'm thinking, you know if we believe that God was there, God was there even when nothing else was there. And then God took the steps of creating all of those things. I think God did have a need. God did have a need to be connected, and um, you know, and it is a relationship in many ways, um, where he we are, in a way, we are meeting God's needs, and God is meeting
0: our needs. Mm-hmm. Well, that that seems very much in keeping with uh, with with the picture he draws toward the end of this, right? That uh, that the um, that the trajectory of the of of man of faith, right, should be not only in uh, his own redemptive pursuits, but in forming relationship with other people who are also engaged in those redemptive pursuits, and by doing that. Um, uh, they're all engaged in relationship with God together and God becomes part of that community. So if that's the, if that's the case, then you know, the question of why did God create human beings? What's the, what's the function? Right? The, fun, the, God, the purpose of God creating human beings is, uh, is for human beings to, uh, um, uh, to uh, discipline themselves to a particular way of life, gravitate to a, to a community where they can share those experiences and through that Um, actually be able to to grasp a relationship with God, which they couldn't do as individuals, right? So, uh, loneliness is addressed through community, right? Not specifically in the, like, personal relationship with God, because every personal relationship with God um, is doomed to to have this kind of dance of, I'm going to grab a little bit and a lot is going to recede away from me. But in community it can all be sort of embraced together. And
2: then I think, you know, we look at not... Not only did God create human beings for reasons, but then God chose one group of human beings, namely the Israelites, to become His people, to accept His Torah, to follow His His laws, and you know, and
0: whatever. He didn't ask that of any, or expect that of anybody else. So let's let's look at our uh, at our like evaluation sheet. Um, if you know, but piggybacking on that, what's in in Soloveitchik's view, uh, uh, even though he doesn't really talk about it directly, what would you say for him the significance is of the Jewish people and God's relationship with the Jews?
1: Well, I think it's at least, it's perhaps the poor example of such a covenantal community. Um, And I don't think necessarily Soloveitchik views it as being the only community i think that i mean to put words into his mouth perhaps that's what he means that's the way he interprets the talk about being the light unto the nations that we're supposed to be one covenantal community and by being an example of a covenantal community that helps others figure out how to form covenantal communities with god
0: Uh, and what in what do you think Sol view of the nature, meaning, and importance of the Torah is in that?
3: I think uh, Torah, for him, is the how you approach God in a relationship, how you have a relationship with God, for understanding and understand our covenant.
1: This is the framework for Existence. Well, I think
0: for for man's existence,
1: it, you know, to
4: carry out what he was intended to do.
0: And what was he intended to do?
4: Halakhs to mate. Hmm. That's so, the Torah.
1: Mm-hmm. So I don't know that he had. I don't know what importance he ascribes to the Torah generally. I think what he ascribes to halakha and the and the and the the mitzvot that are in the Torah is that it's it's an example of how to it's it's the it's the first steps at least of how to of how to construct that disciplined life that he defines the redeemed life as being
0: okay how would you evaluate actually let's let's in the intro because we're not and we only have 15 minutes left so we're not going to get to Heschel tonight (laughs) Um, uh, there's a lot of Heschel we'll get to Heschel next time Um, and it my, my goal for next time was also to do uh, Kaplan, uh, Mordechai Kaplan. Uh, so hopefully that'll actually be a really nice contrast for Heschel and Kaplan. They, were, um, uh, they, they debated frequently uh, in their lifetime too, so we can hold them side by side next time. Um, but let's look at the end of... Um, the lonely man of faith, and that maybe will be a place where we can do our sort of final evaluation of Saul So that's the one that uh, starts with the big X on the front. X marks the spot, exactly. Okay, so he starts off with a quote for a passage from the Book of Kings. <clears throat> it says, uh, So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Uh, Elijah, of course, is the paradigmatic uh, prophet in, in the Book of Kings, uh, the last remaining uh, um, prophet of, uh, of God when virtually everybody else in the kingdom had com- uh, converted to Baal worship. Uh, and Elisha uh, is, uh, is destined to be his disciple, although this is sort of the commission scene of Elijah um, uh, selecting Elisha as his disciple, and Elisha becomes a uh, prophet in Elijah's stead after Elijah is carried to heaven on a fiery chariot uh, to be released every year on Passover to come drink wine at each of our houses. Um, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Elisha was a typical representative of the majestic community. He means the the community of Adam the first, right? The like utilitarian society. He was the son of a prosperous farmer, a man of property whose interests were centered around this, wor- this worldly material goods such as crops, livestock, and market prices. His objective was economic success, his aspiration material wealth. The Bible portrays him as efficient, capable, and practical, remindful of a modern business executive. When Elijah met him, we are told he was supervising the work done by the slaves. He was with the 12th yoke in order not to lose sight of the slave laborers what did this man of majesty have in common with elijah the solitary covenantal prophet the champion of god the adversary of kings who walked as a stranger through the bustling cities of shromron past royal pomp and grandeur negating the worth of all goods to which his contemporaries were committed reproaching the sinners preaching the law of god and pretending his wrath in other words Elisha he's categorizing as like the quintessential Adam the first and Elijah is the quintessential Adam the second Elisha is a a Man of technical civilization and Elijah is the lonely man of faith all right What bond could exist between a complacent farmer who enjoyed his homestead? uh, And the man in the hairy dress who came from nowhere and who finally disappeared under a veil of mystery Yet unexpectedly, the call came through to this unimaginative, self-centered farmer. Suddenly, the mantle of Elijah was cast upon him. While he was engaged in the most ordinary, everyday activity in tilling the soil, he encountered God and felt the transforming touch of God's hand. The strangest metamorphosis occurred. Within seconds, the old Elisha disappeared and a new Elijah Emerged, a new Alicia emerged, excuse me. Within seconds, the old Alicia disappeared and a new Alicia emerged. Majestic man was replaced by covenantal man. He was initiated into a new spiritual universe in which clumsy social class distinctions had little meaning, wealth played no role, and a serene, illuminated universal we consciousness supplanted the small, limited, and selfish I consciousness. Old concerns changed. Past commitments vanished, cherished hopes faded, and a new vision of a redemptive covenantal reality incommensurate with the old vision of an enjoyable majestic reality beckoned to him. No more did the farmer care for the oxen, the means of making the soil yield its abundance, which were so precious to him a while ago. No more was he concerned with anything which was so dear to him before. He slew the oxen and fed the meat to the slaves who half starved, tilled the soil for him, and whom he, until that meeting with Elijah, had treated with contempt. There's a conversion here of Elisha from Adam the first to Adam the second, right? And he's, Solveitsyn is setting this up as a paradigm for the possibility that we, as people sort of immersed in the technical community, the utilitarian community of in his time, all the more so in our time, could actually uh, uh, transform into into men of faith, but I think actually more to the point, um, uh, uh, integrated atoms that hold both of those things. Moreover, covenantal man renounced his family relationships. He bade farewell to father and mother and departed from their home for good. Like his master, he became homeless. Like his ancestor Jacob, he became a straying man, who took defeat and humiliation with charity and gratitude. However, Elisha's withdrawal from majesty was not final. He followed the dialectical course of all our prophets. Later, when he achieved the pinnacle of faith and arrived at the outer boundaries of human commitment, he came back to society as a participant in state affairs, as an advisor of kings and a teacher of the majestic community. God ordered him to return to the people, to offer them a share in the covenantal drama and to involve them in the great and solemn colloquy. He was God's messenger, carrying, like Moses, two tablets of stone containing the covenantal kerygma. Many a time he felt disenchanted and frustrated because his words were scornfully rejected. However, Elisha never despaired or resigned. Despair and resignation were unknown to the man of the covenant who found triumph in defeat, hope in failure, and who could not conceal God's word that was, to paraphrase Jeremiah, deeply implanted in his bones and burning in his heart like an all-consuming fire. Elisha was indeed lonely, but in his loneliness he met the lonely one and discovered the singular covenantal confrontation of solitary man and God who abides in the recesses of transcendental solitude. Is modern man a faith entitled to a more privileged position? And a less exacting and sacrificial role. So, if we go back to the question of, of all of all the whys that Adam II second asks, I think that some of them are contained in here, right? So, <clears throat> uh, what's the what's the role of, uh, of of human beings? The role of human beings is to uh, is uh, is both to uh, build technical. Uh, uh, achievements and, and, and conquer the earth and, and build up the world, but also to, um, uh, to, to pursue the redemptive, to pursue the relationship with God, um, and, uh, and to discipline themselves through the pursuit of that relationship, which will inevitably take them more and more out of society. But the ultimate goal is for, and this, I think, goes to what Ben was saying about maybe what the nature of Torah is or what the nation of the Jewish people is in Saul view the the goal of uh of uh of the lonely man of faith is to return back to technical civilization and be a teacher right is to bring that message bring that prophetic message back to uh, the rest of humanity and inspire them to continue living that way and ultimately that has a, a redemptive end right a, a world perfective end right that uh, that that will through that create a world in which everybody sort of lives under um, uh, the, the dominion of god's sovereignty right so if we say what's you know, uh, um, who is this that keeps following me I got to keep on going and finding out as I go and find out I'm going to go more and more out of society the more I go out of society the more I'll learn from the pursuit of that relationship with God, and the more I learn from the pursuit of that relationship with God, the more I know I need to actually go back to society and, uh, and, and teach them how to engage in that process themselves. So in the uh, waning few minutes that we have, let's try to do a, an evaluation of, of Soloveitchik. How would you rate Soloveitchik in terms of authenticity uh, with the Jewish tradition?
3: Limited, he's only uh, in the first uh,
0: first two chapters of, of the Bible. But right. It seems very consistent. Okay. Is there anything that that seems to you as, as in, maybe potentially inconsistent with the, with Judaism as you understand it, or Jewish tradition as you understand it? Okay. Uh, what about coherence?
3: I think he's addressing an internal contradiction. The whole thing's a contradiction right now. He's trying to address
0: Yeah. Good, okay, so I think that you're right. I mean, there there is a... Uh, um, Uh, A paradox that he's uh, that that he's pointing out right? there's a paradox in human nature Right. There's a paradox in uh, in in understanding awareness of God that the more you uh, the more you know the less you understand right Uh, and uh, and and so and so that's a challenge Um, uh, What about um, what about contemporaneity? How does it work for people today? How well does it work for people today?
1: A clear, clear agenda. I think the I, to kind of come back a little bit to coherence, I think the the one kind of challenge that maybe I would have seen more clearly if we if I'd read it, if I'd read the full text is that the example of Alicia is a is a lonely man of faith who is also solitary for much of the time. And in the extra, excerpts that we've read thus far, we seem to be focusing on the Lonely yet communal man of faith. Right. And so I'm not quite clear from what I've read which one he's advocating for. And to what extent is it acceptable and good to move further and further out of society on this journey. Right. But move as a, as a group, move as a path out of society and then rebound back.
0: So that's a, that's a really good point, right? Alicia may not be the best example that he could have given because Alicia, as an individual, moves out of society, and maybe what he's advocating for in the rest of the book is for, <clears throat> is for a community to become uh, 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 more and more separate, more and more elevated, right? This goes to the authenticity question. Where, you know, we read, uh, we'll actually be reading it uh, uh, next week. Uh, that uh, um, uh, in. Leviticus chapter 19, God says uh, to the Jewish people, tiyu, right? You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Which can mean a few things, but it might mean you should be totally separate from uh, from, from the rest of society because I, the Lord your God, am separate. From them. But again, that's not <clears throat> each individual Jew. It's the Jews as a community should be separate. Or you should be uh, dedicated to me. as a, But again, it's, as society. Yeah. Um, so uh so the, that might be a co- so there's a, certainly an authenticity piece there right um that, that that seems to be coherent with the tradition but um uh, is is what he's advocating for really like can you can you actually be a lonely person can you be the lonely man of faith in the context of community right it, that's really the that's really the challenge that you're pointing out
1: well i mean i think i was just curious Unclear as to whether he was advocating. I mean, I think you right. can be but I think that it was I just felt like it was unclear Between right. his example of Alicia and what we read here, which he is advocating right. Whether it's to be the lonely man of faith in a pack of lonely men of faith who run around being lonely men of faith right. Or to be a solitary lonely man of faith
0: um, I also I I just want to say one thing about the contemporaneity of it is uh, even though it was written decades ago, I find you know his description of of society uh, really prescient. You know yeah. the, the the absurdity of uh, that that led to existentialism, uh, or the seeming absurdity of the world led to existentialism seems to be alive and well today. The the prominence of technical civilization and the the assumption of of you know what is of value in our society uh, seems to be. What's that? Self-absorption. I mean,
3: he died just before the selfie stick. I
0: imagine. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, right. So he would have probably a lot to say about that. And and I also think though, you know, when he says that, in some senses, uh, discipline is the antidote to that feeling. Right. Um, there's a danger in that. I mean, like I think we're seeing that. I don't want to get too political about this. I think that we see that to a certain degree. There's a great piece today um, about, uh, uh, I think the title was, America Has Never Been More Ripe for Tyranny. Uh, and the, one of the arguments is based on Plato's Republic, that, uh, that, that in a democracy, sometimes get, things get so democratic that, um, uh, that, that people uh, are like, dislodged from their sense of place in the world. Right. And so they sort of yearn to have somebody uh, like strongly, you know, come and sort of impose order. Right. And so I think that what his insight is, the only way to actually have place in in an absurd world is to have a structure and and purpose to life. Right. On the other hand, there's, I think, a danger to uh, wanting to create structure and purpose to life in an absurd world. Um, What about communal acceptance? How well do you think that the Jews, broadly speaking, would like this? I think it's got a fairly strong I think
1: that at the at least at the at the intellectual level, I think it's got a very strong level of communal acceptance. Because I think that, I mean, I think that certainly certainly modern orthodoxy seems to me to have embraced this, this approach. I think that although they might phrase it in different terms. Some of a lot of what he says, the Haredim would be open to. I, I think that I think that if you looked at across the spectrum, at least from conservative over to all the way to the ultra-orthodox, I think most of them would just would put different spins on what he means by yeah. everything in here. But I think they'd all, to varying uh, to some significant extent, embrace it. They just disagree about how much you have to move out of society or.
0: Well, the you know, the the. Uh, um... The other thing I think that is is worth noting about this that I think that the community to Soloveitchik's right would not embrace is that he seems to premise much of this on human fulfillment, right? It's true. Um, you know and, what what and what creates know, a meaningful existence for a human being, and not so much about what God demands of human also,
1: beings. Also, while he's focused, while well, what we read was focused on man the second, what you said before about the. Synthesis of right. man the first and man the
0: second, maybe, right, maybe somewhat threatened. Now, for me, that's for me that's con, in terms of contemporaneity. I actually think that that's a really big strength, right? I think that saying that that to be a person of faith does not mean ultimately that you have to totally remove yourself from society and become a hermit and say everything that exists in the modern world is is pointless and stupid. I think that that's a big strength of salvation. He said that stuff is good. Like we're created for that purpose. Yeah. Right, um, but I, but I'm so but in the in the community to the right of him, I'm not so well, sure that they would mean look at that much
1: about yeah. the first in here and here. Well, I cut out
0: I cut out a good yeah, chunk of things about right, it, right, not that it wasn't right. There. I um, that, the the but the um, I I think that if you look at communities to the left of Salavacic, I I wonder how uh, accepted he would be. Right, if he says that the that the, the way to uh, resolve man's problem. First of all, I'm not sure that people see themselves as fundamentally people of faith, right, to the left. I think that uh, to the left, sometimes I think people see faith as something that you um, achieve or pursue um, if, you, if you want to, if you're of that disposition, but it's not something intrinsic to the human condition. And that um, uh, maybe more than that, that, uh, that discipline isn't necessarily the way to uh, cultivate or nurture that faith, uh, but exploration is, or something like that, right? And that's not what Soloveitchik would say. So in terms of communal acceptance, I'm not so sure that, uh, that that um, aside from a, 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 actually, a, I think, a pretty narrow swath Maybe of the Jewish want, world. So we want to think
1: that there is
0: greater communal acceptance yeah. than there is. Uh, no, I mean, there might, there might be. Listen, you know, when David Brooks is uh, quoting Soloveitchik in the New York Times, uh, then that means that there's fairly broad communal acceptance, and there's certainly um, a lot to commend him.